called One More. And uh, this series has been about our mission uh, as a church. And we, we picked up this topic a few weeks ago, because uh, really the, the concept is the same. Um, our mission statement for years has been advancing the kingdom of God one person at a time. But as I would go around and talk to people about what we were doing, and if they could tell me what the mission of the church was or what our mission statement was, most people couldn't relate to it, even though we'd incorporated it in prayers and all sorts of things over the years since the early 90s. It just didn't seem to stick. And so in prayer this year, I really felt like we were to update the mission statement. The mission stays the same, basically, but the mission statement has changed, and our new mission statement is one more. My thinking behind this is that if we talk about it and we, we mention it and we incorporate it into our life, that if someone asks you, what's the mission of the Vineyard Community Church on Big Pine Key, you'll be able to say, oh, I know this one. One more. We even gave it a, a hand sign to help you remember, right? What does one more mean? One more lost child back to dad. One more to Jesus. One more in the kingdom. One more. And that's what we're to do. Now, the, the, the reason a mission is important and the mission statement which describes it is that it helps you to evaluate what you're doing and, and to consider if you're supposed to be doing it or not supposed to be doing it, because there's lots of good things that we could get involved in, but they don't always necessarily line up with our mission. And, and so um, our mission is, is fairly specific. God uses us to reach out into a world and to uh, encourage people into the, the kingdom of God. Um, by coming into a comfortable place where they can hear the message and where the Spirit of God can work on their hearts and uh, that ultimately they decide and choose to follow Jesus. And that, that's sort of the, the idea behind all that we do. And so with that in mind, we, we sort of do things differently than maybe other places would do them. We're not better than they are. We're not more right than they are. We're just trying to do what God has called us to that frees us at that point to be able to bless and encourage other churches and other groups that are preaching God's word because we understand they have a mission that God has called them to and that, that we're not in competition with them in any way and that we can just pray for them and encourage them and bless them and, and, and be excited for them as God uses them and what they do. But we, we get what we're supposed to be doing. And this ties in with the last eight months of, of preaching that we've, we've talked about the ministry of encouragement. And in the ministry of encouragement, we took those eight months really to try and incorporate everybody into two things every day, being thankful for five things and encouraging two people. That, that those simple things will change the world and that we've, we've added that now. So we're thankful for five things and we're encouraging two people so that one more can find their way back to death. That simple stuff. Five, two, one. That sort of uh, gave us a, a verse to sort of help us with our entire mission, with his, which is 2 Corinthians 5, 21, which talks about uh, him who knew no sin becoming sin that we might become his righteousness. And that, that verse is preceded by verses uh, in context, 11 through 21, where Paul talks about um, being ambassadors for him, which fits into the mission that he has given us and, and what he's called us to. And so right now we're breaking down those verses, we're unpacking them, we're looking at those verses in this series called One More. And we've talked about, uh, last week we talked about the fact that, uh, last couple of weeks, we have a radical message 
which is the good news. And when I use the term radical in this series, I'm talking about um, not what people expect. And our radical message is the good news. It's the gospel. It's the same message the church has had since the beginning. It's still the exact same message. The heart of the message is that Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. And lots of people saw that. that the, that's the heart of the gospel, the good news. Because what people have to come to realize is that they've sinned. Because of that sin, they're separate from God. Um, and that they need a Savior to get back in relationship with God. And Jesus is that Savior. And he made it possible by going to the cross, dying for our sins, that they might get wiped out, that we can be restored in relationship to God. That is our radical message that we have. We added to that last week the idea that, that the way that our mission is to move into the world has, has lots of components, but two big ones are radical hospitality and radical generosity. Radical generosity uh, is to typify our outreach and the way that we move out into the world, breaking down stereotypes of what people expect, and so we, we try and do interesting things all the time. The, the idea is to do outreach that makes people say, what? Why are you doing this? And we talked about it last week, to get people to stop and think. Radical hospitality uh, encourages the same thing. What, what the idea is that as people come in response to us inviting them and encouraging them and reaching out to them as we get an opportunity to, to be with them that we make them comfortable and, and again help to break down some barriers so that they can be open to hear the radical message. See, everything that we do is to help people to be open to hear the radical message, the good news of Jesus Christ. A, a timeless message that is currently counterculture but still absolutely the message that people need to hear and respond to. And so these are the things that we're up to. And you see evidences of radical hospitality hopefully all the time. We're out we're here, we're inviting people in. We, we want to bless them and encourage them and feed them and make them comfortable so they can hear. Radical generosity, we're, we're out doing outreach all the time and, and we're, we're trying to make a difference. You're encouraging two people a day is radical generosity. See, it's getting outside your comfort zone. It's... it's it's making sure that you understand the importance of, of telling people that there's other ways. Fear, everywhere again, people spread up because of things in the Middle East. Gas prices, whoop. Listen, don't buy into the mess and, sp and just spread the fear. God is not in heaven pacing going, didn't see any of this coming. He's just not. And you, and you can watch now, if you can step back and look, how our world responds in fear to every stimulus. The, 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 the prices going up in gas is a fear response in stimulus. People making money, obviously, on the futures, but it's a fear response. Ooh, what might happen if, because we got lots of gas in reserve here, and the, the refineries are stocked full. There is no reason for the gas price increase, none, except there's little fear that, but see, People, you have to be ready to talk to people and encourage them. Don't just spread the fear. Don't get so plugged into the constant news of what's happening that there's fear. God's, God's going to do something. He always does. He can use this situation. You have no idea how many ways God might use this situation in those countries just to establish himself more firmly as everything gets stirred up. Because there's lots of opportunities for the kingdom of God to advance when... when things that people are counting on get stirred up, see? So it's bigger than that. 
It's, it's way bigger than that. Don't, don't buy into this stuff. And so, see, we need to be the people that are encouraging others. We need to be the, the people that don't just go in there and go, oh, oh, oh. It's like, you know what? God's got this thing. I'm, God's not, God, something good to come. We just got to trust him in the process. Um, we, did a, uh, we did a free lunch yesterday out, out uh, at the traffic light here in town. And uh, I love doing these things. And I love a free lunch in particular, particularly because of the statement, there is no such thing as a free lunch. I love to hand people a free lunch. It is one of my favorite things to do in the world. I, for years, I used to think, how could I do this? I used to think, I'd like to get on the highway and like open a restaurant that was free all the time, just to freak people out. But that never got funded. So, <clears throat> plus I didn't think the other restaurants would find it very nice or anything like that. Not fair! I'm like, I only need like five loaves and two fish, and I can make fish sandwiches forever! <laughs> anyway, we, uh, here's, here's what I love. See, and this, it's a picture of where the world's at, too, when you're out doing this stuff. Because, see, like, when we do the car wash, we kind of lure people in with the signs, and they know they're getting a car wash, and so the people that are coming in there, and they usually think we're up trying to make money, and we're not. You know, we never take money from them, and, and in fact, the $1 car wash, we actually hand them money to make a point. But the free lunch that we do is different because these people aren't responding to us. We're just up on the highway. They don't have much choice. <laughs> and they're stopped at a light. You know what I mean? We have a sign out that says free lunch, no kidding, but still. And so this is the, the difference in response is that some people won't even roll down their window. And in fact, they look away from you so they don't have to deal with you. Some people will open it this much, like somehow, and that they're really giving us some. Like somehow we're going to reach in and snag them out of that car, you know what I mean? And with, with all these people watching everything, go away. That's kind of what we get. <laughs> I'm, and I'll, I'll try and convince some people, look, it's a free lunch, really. Why? Why, why are you doing this? <laughs> we're trying to ruin your day. Why do you think? <clears throat> We're out here just to bother you. God sent us. <laughs> I'll say, you know, we're just trying to encourage people. This is a free lunch. People say there is no such thing. Well, here you go. And uh, we, had, we had a nice free lunch. Thanks to all the volunteers that came. We, we, uh, yesterday we did Nathan's hot dogs and chips, and it was a very nice presentation and excellent. They, they were excellent. Ask me how I know. And uh, <clears throat> I happen to have a free lunch myself. Um, and, and so we get out there, but, but see, now some people are just really blessed, you can tell. And even we talk some people into it, and they're finally, when they realize, you know, we're not trying to get them, they, they settle down and get blessed too. And there's a sticker on that box. We don't, we don't push this thing. There's a sticker on the box that just says, huh, there is such a thing as a free lunch. What else might be true? www.afreelunch.org, the website we set up that explains it. And... It's three pages, this website. The first page just talks about there ain't no such thing as a free lunch and what it means. The second page, if they click through, says, uh, well, we're doing it to encourage people, and we've also received an amazing free gift in our own lives, so we're out here trying to bless other people. If you're interested in what that is, click here. If they go to the third page, there's the, the radical message in as simple a form as I can put it with Scripture. Um, and I love it. I'm tracking the site. People were coming to it yesterday. They almost always go all three pages. I can watch and see where they hit. So they almost always get all the way into the third page. Now, how long they're on that third page, I don't know. And at that point, they might just go, I knew it, they were kooks. <clears throat> and that's okay. 
Because remember the scripture we read last week? If we're out of our mind, it's for his sake. But if we're in our right mind, it's for the people that we're ministering to. They get to decide. But we know why we're doing it. See, this, this kind of stuff is, is what God has called us to, to get people to stop and to think. Today, I just want to look at the next two verses that we're in our series in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. And uh, these verses are um, uh, part of this process we've been working through. They're very simple. It says this. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. I want to unpack that and make three quick points about those verses with you today. And so the first point, you're like, man, he's just getting to point number one. The first point, it's, everything's in the preamble. <laughs> first point, how we see people. Our mission is so impacted by how we see people, we're going to keep talking about it. We talked about it last week. We've talked about it for months, but I need to keep bringing it up. Because how we see people, how we view people, it's, a, it's the same word there. How we regard uh, is the scripture. Um, and that word just means uh, ultimately to see people. Impacts everything. Uh, verse 16 says, So from now on we regard or see no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. We, we have to be thinking about and examining how we see people. And again, the concept that, you know, I know I told you towards the end of the year when the first time I talked about this that I, I, I felt like the Lord was really going to impress this on us in the months ahead, and he has been. This simple concept is the way that Jesus saw people, and, he, and what he saw was the beauty of their potential. There should be a spot for that in your notes. The beauty of their potential. Um, the beauty of who, the, who they can become in the Lord. Uh, the, their potential in God. And this is so important with, with the idea of, of how we relate to people. See, God loves people. And he loves them so much that he wants them in relationship with him if they're not. He wants them restored to relationship. He went to great lengths to make a way. And that's the cross. See, he's done his part. But people now still need to understand that they're separate from him and that they need to be restored to him, and that's what God desperately wants. And, and the church, as an instrument of telling people this good news, which we'll, we'll talk more about in the weeks ahead, that, that God is no longer counting man's sins against them because of the cross. They just need to turn and repent. Um, uh, we need to make sure that when we see people, we understand that they are all potential people in relationship with God, that, that we see them as to what they can become as well, because that's what God sees when he looks at them. And that's how we have to see people. And we have to be careful, uh, and I said this a lot last week, not to label people as, as sinners or, or whatever we want to label them and then treat them differently. Um, we, we have to see them as, as people who God loves and who he desperately wants restored into relationship with him. Because the moment you label them, you treat them differently. You can put all sorts of labels on people, um, you, and, and they can make you afraid of them. They can make you think that you can't, you know, that you don't want to be anywhere close to them, whatever. The moment that that happens, you begin to treat them differently, and we need to be, we need to check ourselves all the time as to how we're treating people, 
How we're seeing people. Have we labeled them? If we've labeled them, we need to ask God to help us. We need to ask Him to forgive us and to take that label away. And then go out of our way to respond in, in, in a way that you would, in the way that Jesus would. Remember how He hung out with people. And He loved people. This doesn't mean that, that we're saying that nothing needs to change. It just means that we're going to love them and let God work on that spot and on, on those places. And we're going to love them, hopefully giving them an opportunity to respond to this radical message that we know changes lives. Aren't you glad that when God saw you, He always saw you through the beauty of your potential and not where you were trapped before you came to know Him? And so we have to begin to see that way. We have to understand, secondly, this, this concept of being a new creation in Christ. A new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. In Christ, we are new creations. See, God sees us now in Christ. This is an amazing deal. This is the best deal that the, in the universe. Because when God looks at you and you come to Christ, He sees you in Christ. He already sees you as arrived, perfected, solid, good, in Christ. But the reality is, even though we're new creations in Christ and the old is gone, if we, if we take a good look, we, we understand that in the sense of God seeing us in Christ, we're brand new and it's all fixed. But the reality as we walk this thing out is, is that we ain't fixed yet. All of us have some mess in our lives. All of us have some stuff that's not perfected. I have not yet met a perfect person. Just haven't. I don't know one. I am not one. We all have stuff. We all have issues. And, and we're involved in this process of, of God changing us by His Spirit, which is a process. And if you don't understand that you're in process then you can't extend the fact that other people are in process too. They're just like way maybe in the beginning of the process or haven't even started the process yet. But still, not a whole lot of difference. See, you're in process. Matthew 7, 3 and 5 says this, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Look, if, if personally, I have enough stuff in my own life that keeps me busy with the Spirit of God that I can't go around pointing out everybody's stuff. I don't want to. Um, you know, we all got it. I'm, I'm per, fairly occupied in just trying to keep me moving in the right direction. And, and the reality is when you begin to understand that, rather than becoming judgmental and critical, you can love people long because then you can see clearly, oh, well, yeah, I get that because this is my own life, so I can get, and, and maybe then we can extend some advice or something to them, but not in a judgmental way. We have to realize we're all on this journey with God and, and where His Spirit is working in us to change us, but it's a process. Um, it's not a one-time event. See, I, when you came to Christ... You're in. When you, when you pray, you're saved. But this rest of this process, it takes a while because it's still on, it's ongoing. Wouldn't it be great if once you asked Jesus and then everything else was, you were completely just wonderful? You never had any temptation anymore, no desire to sin. You weren't selfish. You were always nice and kind and sweet and gentle and everybody loved you. <laughs> but it doesn't work like that. It's a process. 
The churchy word for that process is sanctification. It's a process. It continues until Christ returns or we go to be with him. At which point, it's taken care of. It's completed. But it's a process. And we give verbiage to that here. We give words to this process. We call it trying to, uh, trying to live by doing the next right thing. We're trying to live by doing the next right thing. See, to me, this conveys the process in simple steps. Um, if we'd already arrived, this wouldn't be an issue. It'd be easy to do the next right thing all the time. You wouldn't have any choices to make. You just always do the next right thing. Nobody does that I've met. But understand the process. And I've explained it. I want to explain it again. See, we, we're... Because in all of this, we're not saying that you, you shouldn't try to do the next right thing with the help of the Spirit of God. Not in your own strength, but in His strength. You, you start every day, you start trying to do the next right thing. And it's helpful if you give and thank for five things and get that there's submission in your life because you're going to look for people to encourage. And then throughout the day, you'll have opportunities. And each time you try and do the next right thing. And then sometimes, you know what? You won't. You'll do a wrong thing. You'll be selfish, you'll be sarcastic, you'll be worse, whatever. The deal is at the point that you can realize that you didn't do the next right thing, what you need to do is stop, turn around, go running back to God. Say, God, I'm sorry. I blew it again. Will you forgive me? And the picture you need to have of God is, absolutely, I forgive you. And he picks you up and he gives you a big love and a squeeze, turns you around and says, go and do the next right thing. Because that's who he is. That's what he does. And if you don't get that, you'll never minister to a world because you'll get stuck in a performance trap that you can't live up to and you'll try and pin that on a world that desperately needs to know that God is the kind of God I just talked about. God that will love you into the next right thing. All of this has to be surrounded with and undergirded by grace. That's the third point. And it's so important that I wrote it three times. Grace. 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 John 1, 14 through 17. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning Him. He cries out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me was, um, surpassed me because He was before me. From the fullness of His grace we have all received one blessing after another. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace allows us to experience life that he always intended for us. The fullness of life, one blessing after another. It's in grace that we have relationship with God. Galatians 2.21, I do not set, Paul said, aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gathered through the law, Christ died for nothing. Paul said, look, you can't earn it. You can't perform well enough. You'll never get there that way. It's all in because of grace. Because we, we're in this process. Read the Apostle Paul. He says, you know what? I've been doing this thing 30 years. I still mess up. I don't want to, he said. Romans 7. I don't want to, but I still do. Thank God for Jesus, he says. Or else I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to make it. Grace. This whole grace thing is the gift of God. Ephesians 2, 4 through 9. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, makes us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift 
of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This gift of grace to us is supposed to impact us in this way, that we're to be a people of grace, not of judgment, not of hypocrisy, but a people of grace, because we've received grace, because we get we're not perfect, because we get that the world needs to know him and that it's, it's made possible by his grace. We're to be grace-filled people that carry out the mission of one more. Grace-filled, grace-full. You're to be graceful. I kind of chuckle with that myself because I always get the idea of ballerinas being graceful and I ain't. And I will not demonstrate. But you're to be graceful. And that means full of God's grace. Receiving his grace and extending it to others. And that's how we'll be able to, to get people to know the one and become the one more. Amen? Amen. Amen. Ministry team, why don't you come up front? The people that are on their way up here, they're here to pray for you. If you need prayer for anything, they'll make sure that you get it. But let me go ahead and pray for you as a group this morning. Father, we are thankful this morning.